Hey there. Welcome to episode 13 of ATL and 29, the podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. Today's guest is Eric Yuboa of Hawks Hoop, and I'm seriously mad at Eric because he's too good of a guest. Dang it, Eric, stop showing me up. Together we go full Hawks, well, mostly Hawks, and discuss the changes to Atlanta's starting lineup, as well as the Jekyll and Hyde nature of the team. We also hear from Stan Van Gundy on the Hawks' approach to surrounding Dwight Howard with complimentary players, and we talk about Air Jordans and, um, underage weddings. Today's episode was made possible by Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group. Rates, integrity, service. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's get started. We are here with Eric Uboa of ESPN's True Hoop site, Hawks Hoop. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Man, it's good to be on KL. It's about time. We've been. <laughs> this has been in the works. I'm excited to be on. I think I've finally made it now, Mama. I made it. I want everybody to know I'm, I'm on KL's podcast, man. What's going on? Oh, not much. Uh, we're, we're recording on a Friday, so I don't know when we're going to post it. Maybe Sunday or something, so that people Maybe can Sunday. listen Monday. <laughs> So uh, if if we're biased in one direction or the other, it's because we're in the afterglow of the uh, Hawks' nice road win over the Raptors. Very nice. Got a nice revenge game here. We needed that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the team looks pretty good with some fresh legs and some passing. They look good. Yeah, they did. They did. It was much. Now we'll be back home with tomorrow night. Be back to face Kimba back at home, man. That'll be an interesting one. Oof, yeah. Those are, you know, back two to good back. teams, the Raptors and the Hornets. They might be, you know, the – the second and third best teams there after Cleveland. So that's that's quite a weekend. Yeah, you get two wins against those. I think finally build some confidence here. It'll be, it'll be fun. Absolutely. All Absolutely. right, so I'm going to start you off with our three quick questions. Let's get so it. So the first one I've got for you is that if you could literally trade shoes with any NBA player, which player would you choose and what sort of footwear would you be looking for? Wow. See, and I love this one because you know me and you with the kicks, how we talk about <laughs> Our obsession with that. So it's like I had two players, this one, that I really could not decide between. Okay. And it was either Brandon Jennings or Chris Paul. So now Brandon Jennings, I like what he's doing this season. Is and he still it, Under Armour? He's, no, he's not because they dropped him like after last summer. I mean, pretty much after Steph came, he, he took his shine. Because you remember BJ was like the poster child for them when he first signed right he was he was it yeah exactly he was the original you know they they you know we talk about Bazemore sort of yeah. you know lining up curry but even before Bazemore, yeah under armor was brandon jennings as far as the nba was concerned exactly yeah when he was coming from overseas so he he's done with his deal so now he's doing he's rocking different type of shoes just anything from reebok to nike i think a couple of games i saw him wearing some answers uh alan iverson's the wow. questions as well yeah so i really want to bring those back i think those are dope i would love to have his collection at, and he said he has like over 100 pairs of just retro kicks that he's going to wear all season long so i think that's pretty dope but okay. then chris paul's which is interesting because i've only had one jordan pair of shoes in my life and they got scuffed up playing so much when i was younger it was like the 12s i had the cherry 12s um those are my favorite ones but now Chris Paul's been doing this whole year where he's wearing these these 11s with all different crazy colors, like the mint greens, the purples. Uh, he had a, one that was just solid red. Uh, so it's the Jordan 11s. I don't know if you've seen them yet, but he's been wearing them. He kind of brings them out like once, you know, once a month. He'll do one crazy design or crazy colors, and I, I really want his collection there. Um, and he had some interview he did. And they showed his whole Jordan collection in his in his house, and there was <laughs> he needed an entire room just for his Jordans, and it was just like the holy grail, man. Like it was, my eyes got huge. I mean, I can only imagine having to walk through there and just, I feel like I shouldn't be able to touch anything, but it was <laughs> it was that dope. He had just a, he had colorways that we're never gonna see. You can never buy anywhere. You're never gonna find it. Jordan's never gonna release it. It's just for him. I think I want his collection pretty bad. That's nice. I'm like you. I had one pair of Jordans growing up. Guess which pair I had? I bet you you had the flu games. <laughs> I had Air Jordans. There weren't any numbers back then. They were just <laughs> Air Jordans. That's it? Just the Air <laughs> they were, you know, the ones. That's it. That's the pair I had. 
See, those were dope though, and I've seen. See, the problem with the ones now, I, I feel bad because I've seen so many knockoff version of the ones. Right. When I'm like just scrolling through like random shops, <laughs> you'll just see so many. I'm like, you, people are just butchering the ones. Like they're so disrespectful to the ones. But did you? How did did you wear them out too fast or what? I I wish I knew how they what their demise was. I remember getting them. I think it was the summer of '86, and wow. okay. Okay. I got them. Warm around to summer camp all summer, and there was like some weird basketball tournament at the end of the camp, and and you know counselors and students, you know male students, female students, all mixed together. But we ended up winning. I was and I won in my Air Jordans. Damn See, it, that was that was a good feeling. <laughs> that's what counts. <laughs> that's what matters. I wonder. My thing is, I wonder if there was a problem with Jordan. Was was the material different then than now? Because I debate that all the time. I feel like. Like you were just saying, I don't know how long they last you, but it's like for me, I know it didn't last long. And I bet for you that you couldn't wear them, but too much longer. And that was it. And it was just like now when they re- you know, re-release them, I feel like the material might be, is it better? Is it worse? You know, because then it just it felt like they didn't last. But a couple if you really were playing ball like we were probably it's like you're not going to you can't get through fall if you, you know, like you can't get through the summer if you're wearing them like every day. There's no way. I know. Yeah, there's no way. But yeah, I, I, I don't think was, it was that special material, to be honest. But it my wasn't. memory's kind of easy. You know, Jordan could be cheap. But, but <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, man. They didn't let you anything. But nah, it was worth it, though. They were definitely worth it. I would have said, I also would have told you the Steph Curry's. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> I don't want those. Those are only for, like, 90-year-old men who... Oh. You know, no, no, no problem with them being ninety. But there's, you know, they're like the only ones who wear it, like the old school, <laughs> and with the, you know, who wear the New Balances too, with the medium white socks. That's that's for them. The Curry ones. Is it the Curry ones? What are they? I think they were. I can't remember. Down. I don't think they were the ones. I think they came further down the line. God, they were ugly. <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, those were disgusting. I was. Like, come on. Like, your brother, he made his brother wear them. I was like, you know your brother doesn't want to wear those. Like, stop it. He's trying to post them around like they're actually fashionable. Like, quit it. <laughs> quit it. Stop, Steph. Just, he, you'd be better out there hooping in sandals than those. Like, come Oof. on. Just come on. But, yeah, definitely those. Between BJ and CP. Good choices. Very good choices. All right. Second question. What were you thinking when you tweeted... And now this is a pick. This is a this is a tweet with a visual. Go with it. It says, "When you're on a date and you know your card's about to be declined, so you make a scene, and it's you know Doc Rivers going nuts and doing his best, hold me back." <laughs> uh, that one, which was funny, because I had I got like a couple of text messages from some friends about it, and it was, we've all been there, KL man, where <laughs> there might be a week there where. You, I'd be a little short, right? But girl, you've been hollering at for a couple weeks there, here and there. You know, maybe you sent her a DM or two, or you just been trying to get her attention at work by trying, you know, trying to be funny and all that. And she finally gives you the attention and says, "Hey, I'll let you take me out." Blah blah blah. And it just comes at the wrong time. <laughs> and it's like, you know, because somebody got on me and said, "Why would you go on a date if you know you didn't have any money?" And I'm saying, sometimes it's just bad timing. So <laughs> when that happens. You you only can go to one, you know, conclusion. That's I'm gonna make a scene here. I'm gonna distract them to the point I'm gonna fight off. I'm just gonna make a scene. I'm gonna call out the chef. I'm gonna call out the host. I'm gonna call out my waitress. I'm gonna call out everybody just to distract them for the fact that I don't have any money on my card at all. I am Bank of America has already notified me that I have a thirty five dollar <laughs> that is pending. And it's just like that that's all I have left. Just fight your way out of there. I mean, can you relate? A, you know, come on. I know you can relate a little bit here. You you want a, a moment? There. Like I'm a little short. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, now, to be fair, you th- this sounds very Earn and Van. <laughs> Earn and Van. No, it's Earn and Van. This is my. This is real life. This is my real life. This is just. You no, know, it might have happened to me. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. I don't want to say that. I don't want to. People might be. I I got married so young that that I don't know that I I can relate to that. Oh, are you lucky? <laughs> oh, you that's the beauty of getting married. Like you, you ain't got to worry about this anymore. The bank accounts look a lot better. You're sharing them a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's yeah. not that 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 that's all that tweet was about. I just I was speaking from the I was tweeting from the heart. 
That's it. Yeah, I was a, I was a child husband. <laughs> you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I will all. never it's... ever show anybody my wedding pictures. Really? I got see. We're gonna make a bet where we're gonna make a bet, and I'm gonna. I have to see them. I need. I need this exclusive. No, my and, wife you know, looks looks like absolutely stunning and beautiful, and she, what she you... looks like she's standing there with like her little brother. It <laughs> doesn't doesn't it doesn't even compute. It's like not funny. You're just like happy to be there. Like I'm, I'm really. Yeah. I looked out. Here. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> Sometimes you look up, man. I'm hoping I get the same. <laughs> yeah, definitely though. But that that's all that tweet was about. It was just fun. Um, I just I, I I don't really partake in the Twitter um, the, like too much on the on the captions. But I'm starting to like it a little bit. I saw your one earlier when you were uh, who was it, Bobby Flay. Oh man! When he was dancing, I loved that. Like, like that was a good caption. You got, you know, it was Friday and everything. <laughs> like, I like you do now. I see you doing your thing a little bit now. When you started just to let KL out, man. So I, 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 I like did. the visuals. Yeah, yeah, that was perfect. I didn't know. Do you dance? I feel. I figured you danced kind of like that. I was like, I, I try not to notice. I don't want to know what it looks like when I dance, so I just don't, <laughs> don't look. Just a complete denial. <laughs> I'm sure you're fine. I'm sure you're okay. All right, third question. Out of all the podcasts okay. and episodes of podcasts that you've ever listened to, what's your favorite episode of a podcast? Um, there's my favorite podcast period is Bodega Boys, and it's uh Desus and Merrill. They're like two Bronx guys who like grew up together. Mm-hmm. And they just their their jokes, they're funny, it's just like conversational type of funny. Like it's they're not like pressuring you to laugh like i feel like kevin hart does and no I'm, i had to say that <laughs> but anyway like i feel like kevin hart does but these guys are just more conversation it seems more natural but they're just funny as heck man like that my favorite episode with them would probably have to be um they were on another popular podcast this guy named tax stone and um they all like they both grew you know grew up in bronx and then tax stone i think was uh harlem or brooklyn i can't remember so they're just talking about their experiences of how funny it is that they're that close to each other, but be, the boroughs, there's such a rivalry between those, you know, those different hoods or whatever that people will not talk to each other or not even have anything to do with each other because they're from a different borough and all that. <laughs> stuff. So yeah, it was funny, man. I like that one. I just like them because it seems natural and they're funny as heck. Now they got a show on Viceland. So they kind of, they're kind of blowing up right now. So that'll be my favorite. Yeah. Those are my favorite podcast guys. That sounds like a good one. All right. So we're going to put you through the ringer. The ringer. The the 100 to 200 segment where we ask you for something in between a lukewarm controversial opinion and something that might be a little bit more scorchy with the idea that 100 degrees is warm and 200 degrees is hot and it could end up anywhere in between. Okay. All right. So I'm going to let you take it over and tell us what it is. Oh, man. I have, I had so many and I had to, I had to number them down. See, my first one I would have to say is I feel like the Clippers will beat Golden State in the Western Conference Finals. And my reasoning is the fact that the bench play um, will, I think, will outlast because we know Golden State's bench is struggling. Uh, not struggling, but they're not as strong as they were you know, years past. And also, I think at some point in time, you kind of just get sick and tired of losing to those guys. And we just and the Clippers and them were like neck and neck, weren't they, a couple years ago? And it felt like this was going to be the rivalry for years to come. And then Golden State just took off. And, and I feel last like, year was ridiculous. It was like Steph Curry got hurt, and it's like, wow, the Clippers are finally going to get through. And then like yes. every single player broke in the next forty-eight hours. <laughs> oh man, that was a tough night to watch. Yeah, versus the Blazers, man. Yeah, it's just like, how did that happen? So, and they haven't been in the playoffs in so long, like you're saying. So I think once they actually get to the playoff time, and the Clippers have done, I, to me, the Clippers have played well in the playoffs the last two years. I mean, when they beat the Spurs, I know they had that three-one lead they let go versus Houston, but uh, beating the Spurs the way they did, and last year they were handling the Blazers pretty well. Even though I know the Blazers are, you know, they're they're a good team, but they're not Spurs level or whatever. But um, I feel like now they have the experience enough, and I think they're more they're tougher now. Um, another thing is that I think it was Mo Spates who called them out like a week ago. I think him being on the team will help. He told them stop being crybabies, stop being selfish. Um, I think that helps when you have somebody coming in who want to ring 
to actually tell you what it takes to win a ring. I, they ha- they didn't have anybody in the locker room. Even with Paul Pierce there, it wasn't enough. So I think that will help a lot. I think they just needed a little bit more of a a different voice in the locker room. Uh, Did he bring a playbook, a mental version of the playbook? He needed to do that. I sure <laughs> they would need that a lot. I don't know if it would help, but <laughs> they, I can't remember the last time they really beat the Warriors. And it's, I was trying to think about it the other day. Like I don't know when the last time they beat them, but that might be to their advantage. Sometimes you keep losing to somebody enough that you figure out the loophole and, and your advantage, and you know you just finally overcome it. So I think that that happens this year. All right. So stepping back a little bit here, it's time to score it. That is that's pretty warm because <laughs> the Warriors are good and Kevin Durant is really freaking good. Yes, I get it. I know. I, I'm I'm might that, be just that yeah. death lineup. You know when they put him basically as their rim protector, that's ridiculous, and he can do it. You know, like yeah. this week he said he's you know he's seven feet. He he went on the radio and said I'm seven feet tall when I wear finally. shoes. Yeah, finally that that's over. <laughs> so yeah, he can be the seven foot rim protector and you know shoot from anywhere on the court. It's just ridiculous. So that that's a little bit scary. And so with that in mind, I'm going to say that it's like a 180. Oh. I, I think the Warriors are really good, and I I think it's kind of kind of crazy to think that the Clippers can beat them. I think the Clippers are going to give them their best series, but I think the Warriors. Will um, win. What do you? What, what did you score that? Um, and it's probably because I. I have I have this. I mean, if you don't know, I'm a huge, huge Chris Paul fan. Like sure. since, since I was 13, so it's like he's my favorite player. He's always been my favorite player. But it's so I'm trying not to speak with the heart there. But at the same time, <laughs> it's tough. But it's hey, just like, he looks like it though. I mean, he looks like you know one of the best players in the league. I mean, you could probably make an MVP case for him if you sat down and tried hard enough. I mean, he yeah, totally he looks like he's just kind of making that one great push to be the best he can be. It's like he's yeah. ready to reach that career apex. Yeah, for sure. That that's I think he's at that point. Now, he's playing so well right now. I think he just knows. He's always been so efficient and I, as you get older for him that helps cuz he's always a he's like his whole game is cerebral. He's not Absolutely. the fastest. He doesn't jump the highest, but he it, everything is upstairs with him. He just he has it all stored. Like he this memory for him is just ridiculous. His memory bank. So, I don't know, but um, for me, it might not be as high. It's just probably I'll say like a one forty, or so, or so. Okay. Yeah, Very yeah. Good. Just because I I I got confidence in that team, so I go like a one forty. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Okay. Now we're gonna get back to the Hawks. We're gonna go pretty much all Hawks from here to the end. And so the first question I had for you is, uh, Oh boy, what do you think of the move to put Tabo Cephalosha in the starting lineup? Has it has it panned out so far? Is it the right move going forward? Well, and, and I think it definitely is mainly with the experience Tabo had in Oklahoma City. Um, and I also think that when he's in the lineup, I know I saw the numbers. I mean, they're a better rebounding team, and they get more steals when he's in the lineup. Sure. Uh, and it's just having Thabo there, you've had that reliability that somebody's going to bring it every night. Thabo plays hard every night. We see it every time we cover. And he has that energy no matter if they're down by 20, they're up by, he really does play with the same. So I think they needed that type of um, presence in the starting unit. And they weren't – it's not a knock on Corver, but it's – you, you want to have a little bit of more athleticism on the floor. And you get that – more versatility. And with Corver, it's kind of tough. I mean, you he does well within the defensive scheme. But, you know, it's, he was struggling. It just – you can see it, obviously. He was struggling there. Um and it, they needed to make some type of change. So I'm, I'm okay with Bud doing this for now, uh, especially how the way they went through that losing streak. You have to try anything, really. <laughs> so why not? You know, why not? So give it a shot. I think it's worked well. And I think even with Kent getting back or whatever, um, I think it's still good to keep Thabo in there. Um, and it, I really think it's just going to fluctuate between either Kent or Tim Hardaway. But I think Thabo should stay. I agree, and and I think you know if you look at it, um, you know a couple ways to look at it. One is like you look at last year's playoff series against the Cavaliers. Yeah. You know the last two games they put Tabo in the starting lineup because they needed somebody to guard LeBron. Exactly. You look at the Eastern Conference, and it's like you know Carmelo, Paul George, LeBron, Demar Derozan, and even tonight, you know, they started the second half with Hardaway on Derozan. What did Derozan do? Backed him down, scored. Backed him down, scored, and he had six straight points, and they put Tabo on him. 
There you go. Yeah. And yeah. So you, there's just so many big forwards in the East that you're going to need Tabo to, to guard. You might as well get used to it now if that's that's going to be what you're doing in the playoffs. And I think, you know, that one of the nice – one of the, the things that the Hawks have done since they've put Tabo in the starting lineup is they, they've taken Humphreys out of the rotation. Mm-hmm. And so they start Tabo, and they get Tabo, you know – I should have gotten some numbers before I got into saying all this, but they're playing Tabo, let's say, 30 minutes a game. But the way they're getting Tabo 30 minutes a game is they're starting him, you know, in the first quarter, starting him in the third quarter, putting him on those big forwards like DeRozan. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at times in the game where it can work out, they'll put Tabo at power forward. And so they've taken Humphreys out of the rotation, and basically his minutes – are going to, you know, some combination of Tabo and Bazemore and Hardaway and Corver because they're using yeah. Tabo at power forward. Yes, yeah. That's and I and I like that. I think when I saw that first was the Thunder game. And, and speaking and even in that game, speaking of the versatility of Tabo, you saw I mean him being able to guard Westbrook and he did a good job with that. He's, that's what exactly what you know points to your your point there was that Thabo can do so much defensively. So him guarding Westbrook is astonishing first. But also that game, speaking to the lineup thing, was that small ball unit there. Uh, having Thabo in with Tim Hardaway, Schroeder, Corver, and I'm, am I missing one more? I think uh, Delaney was in the lineup tonight. Was Delaney in the lineup tonight? Okay, yeah. That worked so well for this team because they needed – I don't. I feel like the ball wasn't moving as much when they have some of those other lineups there. Uh, but that unit really works well with um, – with, with getting the ball moving and, and getting better better looks at the basket. So I, I think definitely uh, Tabo's presence is, is much needed. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, the thing that makes it all work is that Millsap, it's ridiculous that he, you know, he's 6'7", or whatever height he is, and, you know, you roll him out there in a center, and, like, how many centers are there in the NBA that, that you feel bad uh, having guarded by Paul Millsap? There aren't very many. Mm, no, yeah, not many at all. That's why he's so. I mean, we say it all the time. We know how underrated he is. Um, and Paul works hard. I think to me, he's the most talented on the on the team, or at least the most versatile. Yeah, definitely the most versatile. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just yeah. I think <laughs> we have to appreciate what we have right now with him. I know he gets criticized and at times I think unfairly, but um, I love Paul's demeanor coming into every game. It's the same effort every night, even though he's might be undersized. As position, I think he's just as versatile as anybody in the league. I I would think he would be right up there with. I said that like a year ago, or when he came to Atlanta, was just he'll be right up there with Blake if he was probably a little bit more athletic because he does everything that Blake and some of these other power forwards can do. When he can handle the ball, he can shoot, he can he can defend, um, and it's you know it's he can pass so well that this guy he's it's just the fact that he's not the most uh, I guess you would say sexy player to watch just, right i mean you know, think, you know blake think, and uh, paul are both ridiculously good passing forwards passing power forwards you yeah. know they can make a play they they can almost act like the second power or the second point guard on the floor yeah, yeah. and griffin can do so much above the rim exactly. but then where paul has the advantage is just he's like he's like a dance teacher below the rim with his footwork it's it's absurd how he gets every shot in rhythm yet at the same time the defenders have no idea what that rhythm is no no they look lost his footwork is on another level for sure yeah all right so going really big picture yeah the hawks started the season nine and two (sighs) and with the win tonight they've gone four and eleven since then oh man I mean, the, which, which team are they? Are they the nine and two team? Are they a four and eleven team? Are they somewhere in between? And if so, where on some sort of sliding scale? <laughs> That's what we were. I was talking to E Dub about the E Dub with Hawks beat yesterday, uh, and it was just interesting because I did just write about their identity crisis that they're in, and I think that's what they're trying to figure out. I know it's eighty-two games. And it's a long season, and you'll figure it out as you want to go. But you do want to start building, putting at least the right, playing the right way so you can start building towards uh, the postseason and, and, and being confident going to the postseason. But uh, it's tough, man, with hearing from, from Bazemore last game with the Magic game. And he says he feels like, you know, the, the bench was playing so well early on. The bench played well. Then the starters were still trying to catch up. Then it flipped. Um, and it's now they just they can't find that happy medium tonight. They were able to 
but they haven't been able to find that balance there. We really can gauge who they are. And I think a lot of it's just doing with Dwight and Schroeder trying to figure each other out. I think as they figure each other out, then this team goes. I mean, then they, they play, both of them play really well tonight in Toronto. So it shows you when, when they play well and they're on the same page, um, this team has a better chance of getting, picking up wins back to back and, and, and getting a streak going a little bit. But man, it's so hard to see who they are, it, to gauge who they are right now. It's, it's ready, 20, what, 25, 26 games into the season? 26, yep. 26, and we still don't really know yet. But And Bud's trying so many different lineups that how can you really gauge it properly, you know? So it's it, it's here and there. I think he's trying to find that what works in in certain versus certain teams. I think he's trying to figure that out. Um, it's going to take some time. I think they can be closer to that nine and two team. To be honest, um, yeah, I think it wasn't just like a fluke the way they started. I think this team really has that potential there. It's just you're going to go through your rough periods like they're going through now, and you need to go through that. Um, and I think they'll, I think they'll get a winning streak down, you know, a little bit down the road here. They'll like pick up six, seven games in a row. I think they can actually do that. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that there were, yeah. they lost some bad games, like the Pelicans game at home was a bad <laughs> loss. The yeah. Orlando game this week was a bad loss. Yeah. But when you look at that that Western road trip that they had, that was ridiculous. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, playing the Warriors, the fifth game in seven nights, second game of a back to back on the road <laughs> against yep. Yep. the Warriors, who played. You know, they didn't rest anybody. They they played both teams played everybody, and it was it was a real shootout. Yeah, uh, yeah. So some fun. of those games, and then the Phoenix game. I swear, every every year that game where you like come off the West Coast and go hit up one game in Phoenix on your way home. That's that's always a, a grueling game. Yeah. So I mean, I think when I when the schedule came out, I looked at the mm-hmm. schedule. I'm like, wow, look at what's going on there in the end of November. That's going to be bad. So they got through that. They didn't get through it well, but they got through it, and it's over and done with. And everything that happens in the schedule from here on out is pretty much better than what that was. So. Yeah, that's true. No, the schedule does pan out for them, but it's just some of those like like you're saying some of those games you would hope they could they could really just get it you know get in early and then really step their foot on the other team like the the heat game the magic game like we were saying like those kind of irritated me just watching like you would you know with the <laughs> with the way they were playing it's like you would expect them to come back and just be ready to to just kill another team like because they've been getting killed for so long so it's like all right what are you gonna do when you come back and that heat game just bothered me because it's like man you remember it took them to the middle way through the fourth right. to really put them away and i'm like heat team didn't <laughs> even have most of their players right like so it's like, you know, that made me scratch my head. Like, all right, what really is this team? That's what made me – that game started making me think about what who they are. Um, but like you're saying, I think the schedule does pan out, and it kind of works in their favor. I think they just need, like, a homestand. You know, once they get, like, a nice homestand, I think that will help out as well just to to be able to be here. And I, and I remember Corver talking about it. They weren't able to really practice as much during that road trip. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, yeah, I think that's a big key. People are kind of forgetting that, that that's a big factor into – being able to mesh because they got you know two new guys in the starting lineup that that really helps. You need more practice time. So yeah, I think this team will be okay. I think they'll yeah, be- I'm I'm with you in sort of hitting on the Schroeder Howard thing as being the key. Not because that they're sort of negligent and playing bad, but just that it it takes time to get that rhythm. Yeah, yeah, I think for the Hawks, you know, they have to figure out you know one how to get the passes into Howard. You know they. Mm-hmm. It seems like they've been a brutally bad team at throwing lob passes for the last couple of seasons, and they're still kind of working that rhythm out. It looked good against Toronto tonight. It seemed like they put put the ball in the right places, Hardaway and and Bazemore had a couple of nice tosses up there tonight. Uh, and that, yeah, I, that, that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that the other pass is the pass that Howard has to make. Um, they're gonna they're gonna be times when they're running the pick and roll. Uh, where he's the one setting the screen, and you know if Schroeder gives him the ball and the defenses are are taking away his shot at the rim, he's got to be able to find his corner shooters. And and in that game against Orlando, he did it once, but then there were a few times that you know he he looked like a Rams quarterback, you know, just kind of <laughs> throwing it to the team in the other jersey, just like right to him. Here you go, God, and, man. and he's got you know they, you watch him in practice, you know. That when they when they do the drill work after practice, and you can see them trying to coach him up on that, trying to make that read, and 
And I think he'll get better at it over time, and that's going to be a real key for the Hawks. No, definitely. That's I, that Orlando game. I know exactly what you're talking about when he caught it in the, I think you know, pretty much the high post area, and he expected, or it might have been lower than that, but he expected <laughs> the corner guy just to be there, and he didn't. He really didn't actually wait for them to get there. He just turned around and just threw it, and the, you know, Orlando was just sitting there waiting for it, and it happened like th- two or three times. I was like, man, Dwight. I never noticed that he was struggling so much with the passing game, but um, yeah, you're right. I think that just takes time. He's never done that before. You know, he's never had to. So now you have to define. I think Bud talked about that too. Just the fundamentals of coaching him up on that. He's he still has some things to refine. Uh, it's funny it, it, at him at 31 years old. It just sounds funny saying that, but I mean, yeah, he never I, mean, I think he did it pretty. Maybe not so much in Houston and L.A. and especially not in Houston because the whole team didn't really do that great a job at passing but I think in Orlando he got pretty good at, at finding you know the Richard Lewis types in the corner yeah making yeah. that read but you know it's 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 probably still different motion patterns and and the yeah. defenses are different now too you know defenses are much more attuned to getting out and contesting three-point shooters than they were in 2000 you know 10 when the magic were in their heyday for sure yeah now people are a lot more especially with this Hawks team here and they're I mean, they're in it, everybody's like since Golden State's been doing what they've done. Everybody's just very much wanting to guard that three point line is, and they'll give up. I mean, drive bys they'll they'll give it you know give us drive bys rather than letting us shoot. I mean, I see them doing that with Kent Bazemore all the time, where they're at least you know they're closing out on him to make sure that he's it's a drive and to the basket rather than him pulling up. So yeah, with this team, and I think like we're I mean we're gonna talk about it later, but just the the shooters around him that also helps the passing for him and that might be a problem we're having right now but we'll get to that later i'm sure <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the pass like tonight he had a pass off of an offensive rebound to corver yeah and and i think that pass is going to come really naturally that's an easier pass to make because um you know the defense has scrambled by that point and there isn't somebody clinging to corver but i think you know just in the regular flow of the offense defenses are so attuned to knowing you know who Corver is and saying oh you know the one thing we got to do is you know run with him you know run, run with, with him, him around yeah. the screens and stay with him and, and that makes getting the pass there a little bit trickier for sure for sure it, it does I think I don't what I what I don't like when they do with him is that when they do some of the handoff passes like the drop-offs when he's right. coming when somebody's coming off a, a pick and roll with him I think it only works with him being a threat from the mid-range area like you can only kind of do that if you know because defenders aren't falling for Dwight trick you know being able to be a threat from the mid-range or anything like that so So those passes to me I think they should I would hope they would stop doing the the, like the handoff passes with him because it doesn't work it works better with Paul Millsap I see that all the time but with with Dwight it doesn't work as much but yeah no for sure I think having Corver and Tim Hardaway um, those two it works a lot better with Dwight when it comes to him finding shooters because those guys are, are big threats. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, I want to take a minute here to uh, plug our sponsor, Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group encourages people to shop rates when they're looking to refinance or buy a new home. They have some of the lowest rates in the country and some of the lowest closing costs, too. They'll even give you a quote where they credit you money towards the closing costs or cover all of them. Check them out at www.polimortgage.com. That's www.polimortgage.com or call 781-232-8000. Make sure to tell them that ATL and 29 sent you to receive a credit of $50 towards your closing costs. Offers cannot be combined with other offers. Poli Mortgage's Rates, Integrity, Service. All licensing information is in the show notes. Poli is an equal housing lender. Now we're going to do over-unders. Yeah. All right. Let's get so, it. Let's get it. <sighs> as of right now, Kyle Korver is shooting 42.1% from three. At the end of the season, is that number going to be higher or lower? Gosh. See, now that's tough, man. I want to say higher. Um... Man, if I can, you know, you know what, you know, what, I'm gonna say lower. I'm gonna say just a bit lower, though. I think he hovers around 40 percent for the year, which is not too much of a drop off, right? No, um, that's right. Yeah. I, I think if he stays on the bench, I think that's the biggest factor there. I like him coming off the bench and having that Ray Allen type of role, um, and I, him going to be going against, uh, you know, going against other benches and stuff like that. I think that helps. 
Um, but I see him around 40%, so I'll definitely go under for that. Yeah, when it was 40% the other day, and, and I was thinking about asking you this question, I was like, oh, yeah, that's definitely going to be an over. And then he made a bunch of shots in the last couple of games. <laughs> yeah. And now he's at 42, and I think it's harder because I think – you know, I think that's where he's going to be. But he's at 42.1, so if we get really into the nitty-gritty of decimal points, I, I think that I would say over, but not by much, yeah. Not by much, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's why – see, when I saw it at 40, I was like, all right, I'm definitely going to go with over. I think he can get a little over that. Now it's just, you know, like you said, it's tricky, so for sure, though. All right, team free throw percentage, 71.4%. <sighs> I don't see this getting – I'll say over – um, but it's to me, it's the fact that you have like your two cornerstones for your offense. You're, you know, you guys you rely on the most, which is Millsap and Howard. I would say um, those guys aren't the best free throw shooters. I know Millsap over his career, he's been just you know average. And Dwight, we all know about Dwight. So um, I would say over, but not by much. Yeah, not by much there. Yeah, I think I would say under. I think actually Dwight will get better. He's at 52% at the moment. Okay. Um, so I think he'll get better on the season. But I think if you look at the rest of the team, there's so many people that are shooting really, really well from free throws. Like Delaney's at 88%. Corver's yeah. almost 90. Prince is 91. You know, Humphreys. There is a bunch of people that are over 80%. And Schroeder's at 81%. That's yep. That yeah, would be really high for him, I think. I don't think he's touched that at any point in his career. So I think some of those guys might come back down to earth a little bit. So I I think Dwight will go up, but I think some of those other guys are going to come down. The, okay. the net effect will be for it to go down a little bit. No, I can see that happening for sure. It's it's the floor. I mean, free throws, you can't I, – I don't think a team can just – I think you are who you are when it comes to – to free throws to an extent, you know, I, I don't know if you can just get so much drastically better as the season goes with free throws. I would have to look into it to see what team really has done that in the past couple of years. But I, don't, I think you are who you are. Dwight, he can. Yeah, I think Dwight at hovering around 50 percent or a little bit over 50 percent. Uh, that definitely for him, that's a good look. But um, going forward there, I think he you just are who you are when it comes to free throws. All right. Defense. Now, I've got two numbers here, uh, but we'll go by – let's do it by rank. So there are 100 – are you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Mm -hmm. Okay, just sounded fuzzy for a second. I'll, I'll have to edit that out too. <laughs> All right, so yeah. two numbers for you. Okay. One is that they're giving up 102.4 points per 100 possessions, but bigger picture, they're eighth out of 30 teams. So let, let's do it by rank. Do you think that they'll be better than eighth? Or worse than eighth at the end of the season? Oh, wow. Um, I think they'll be better than eighth. And we're talking about ranking, talking about their ranking. Yeah, right? just, just ranking. So, you know, will they, will they, you know, get to, let's say, somewhere between one and seven, or do you think they'll be worse than eighth? They'll be, they'll be, yeah, definitely one and seven. No doubt. No, no doubt in my mind, they'll be between one and seven. And like we said, it's just going to, uh, we saw what they're capable of, and I think they'll get back to that. For sure, it's not. It doesn't just vanish like that, especially with Bud. I think he had it last year. He did a good job. If you remember that, when he went through that real tough time right before All Star Week, remember they were kind of just like dragging themselves along to get to the All Star Weekend, mm -hmm. if I'm correct. And it was he just kind of took them back to like just the fundamentals of what he needs from them defensively. And I think he's good at that, just being a good teacher. Um, so I think I think if if anything he can get them back to between that top four top five spot I think for sure. Yeah, there were some spirited practices that week. Yeah, okay. <laughs> reading about it. <laughs> they about they it. were really uh, focusing on the transition defense. Got you. Yeah, that yeah. was a, that was a big area of concern. Yeah, I'm I'm I kind of want to say that they'll be better than eighth, and then you look at the list of teams that's above them right now, and that's Memphis, Utah, the Clippers, Detroit, San Antonio, Charlotte, Golden State, and those are all good defensive teams. Yeah, yeah. But, but, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of think the Hawks are actually going to crack into that somehow. I'm not sure which team they'll bump out, but I, I do think they'll get up there. I think so too. Yeah, I think over time, they're, they're so. They have all the right pieces for as far as having good individual defenders. And, I mean, it's all there for you. And they, I think a lot of the guys, they do play hard. This team plays hard. 
um, most nights. And it's, you know, I think over time they'll be able to mesh. They're just trying to figure things out. When your offense is struggling like that, you know, it just seeps into your defense. When you're having that many, that much struggles of, of getting points like they've had, it just kind of makes your defense lag there. So I think as it balances out offensively, then their defense will get even better. All right. Yeah. So uh, another one. Yeah. Dwight Howard. He is currently averaging 12, 12.6 rebounds a game. Do you think he'll be higher or lower than 12.6 at the end of the season? I'm going to say higher. I'm going to say higher. Yeah, I think he can. Um, Dwight is it's, – it's funny now because I've watched him all these years and it doesn't show as much – for some reason, I don't know why I missed it on TV than I do seeing him in person as far as the activity he has on the boards offensively. You know, like Dwight is a lot more attuned to like, – he has a feel for it, for the ball, where it's going to be when he's getting the board offensively. And I think that's been so impressive that I, I can see him going way above. Maybe he can get to like 14 by the end of the year. And I, I know that he hasn't had 14 since probably – I think it was his 07, 08 year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and he did it again after that. I can't remember what year it was. Um, but I think he can get back to 14. Really, honestly, with this, with the way he's being so active, and I think he's just kind of rejuvenated it now, being back home. Uh, and I can see the effort there, not in. He's he's really playing hard with, with um, we're not playing hard. But he's being more attuned to the boards, and I think he's putting a lot of effort offensively on the boards. So I'm impressed with that. So I can say about 14. I think he'll get to by the end of the year. Yeah, I would go over here too. I okay. He's been really bouncy. Like I wasn't yeah. expecting him to 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 look as as spry as he does. Oh, what happened? Did I, did I lose you? No, no, you're good. Okay. You're right here. So mm-hmm. I didn't expect him to look as spry as he does. Mm-hmm. He's do he's getting four point six offensive rebounds a game, which is really a ridiculous total. And I don't think he'll be able to necessarily keep that up. But whatever he loses on the offensive end, I think he'll actually get more defensive rebounds. He's getting eight defensive rebounds a game. And he just on the defensive glass, I think you know, he's still kind of getting a feel for the defense and timing. And, you know, I think maybe he's not quite – it's 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 not natural as far as positioning and things on defense where that, that the rebound that comes after it is second nature yet. And so I think he'll, he'll improve as a defensive rebounder. Uh, as the season goes on. So, yeah, I think the, the wash will be that he ends up a little bit over. Over, over. Can I ask, when you meant by saying that uh, the positioning, are you saying, like, he's not boxing out as much as, as you, like, as before? Is he, has he never I, really boxed out? I don't think he's ever really had to box out. <laughs> I, I'm talking about, like, defensive position. Not, not rebounding position, but defensive oh, position. Defensive so, position. like, I when can... he has to make a rotation and stuff. Gotcha, you know, yeah. I think he's a little bit slower on the rotation that it's just not instinctual yet. It's not bad. I just don't think that it's like second nature yet like it is for somebody like Millsap who's been in the system for four years. Very true. Yeah. So I think as he gets used to making those reads and rotations, uh, once those come a little bit quicker, then everything else he does in the same sequence will be quicker, including getting himself ready for the rebound. Definitely. For sure. I think you saw that with even Horford as much as, uh, you know, Dwight's a much better rebounder, but, you know, Horford just had like that, that secure backline defense. Like he was just so reliable and, and I, you know, he had a feel for the defense where everybody should be. And like you're saying, yeah, it's going to take time. It's early for Dwight to figure it out, but yeah, I can definitely see him figuring it out as the season goes, as he gets comfortable in the, in the schemes of the defense. I definitely agree with that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about this one? Torian yep. Prince over under 60 games played. All right, so let me give you the numbers here. So far, the Hawks have played 26 games, and he's played in 17. Prince has played in 17. So do you think he plays more than 60 games this season? Heck no. That is not happening. Really? No, when you play under Coach Bud, it's not going to happen. And especially with cracking the rotation, and I I hate it, man. Okay, if we add it up, like even the Orlando game, I guess you can mark it as he play if he comes in with one second left. I hate that. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's like, I think with Bud, and you know how strict he is with rookies. I think that's like, you know, that's just the fact, the biggest factor here is, um, and just his positioning he is, he's at a small forward shooting guard type of role. It's not the guys ahead of him. I think our Bud's kind of like who he's sticking with. So I, I can't see touring over 60. 
I just don't see it happen. I can see him maybe 60 games in the D League, but <laughs> not here. Not for the, you know, and it's no knock on him, but it's just, it's, he's a rookie, man. It's just how it goes, man. So the last part here is I wanted to play a clip from Stan Van Gundy. Okay. Stan Van Gundy, you know, for years was Dwight Howard's coach. And I asked him, you know, how he decided on the players who would be in his rotation around Dwight. Coach, when you were in Orlando, how did you figure out the right combination of players to put around Dwight to complement? Well, it wasn't really my job there, so that was good. Uh, Otis had to figure out the, the roster. But you had to figure out who to play. Yeah, but we basically, you know, we put as many shooters around him as we could possibly get. I think that was the, the thing. Um, and, uh, and that proved to be a pretty good formula for, for us. And, um, you know, use him, his ability to suck defenses in and everything else to open them up and use their shooting ability to open the floor up for him is what we, is what we tried to do. And then, you know, then we, just like Mike's done here, we built our defense around him. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not the least bit surprised to see them as the, number one defense in the league. I mean, you know, with Dwight, you know, you got always got it. Mike, first of all, Mike's always had good defenses. He's a great coach. And then Dwight's only going to make that better because he's a he's a great defender. I mean, you know, three years in a row he was a defensive player of the year and I didn't think it was close. I mean, you know, so not surprised that they're, they are where they are defensively with him. Stan the man. Stan the man. It, yeah. It, it, it was the, like a half an hour after that that it dawned on me that Stanley Johnson is being coached by Stan Van Gundy and that you've got a Stan being coached by a Stan. The Stan Stan. The Stan bros. I missed that, yeah, entirely. I don't know what took me so long to catch up to that. Yeah. But getting back to Dwight, uh, you know, how would you compare what the Hawks are doing around Dwight, especially offensively, to to what the you know the magic of 2009 and 2010 did and and can what the Hawks are doing work? I think the biggest difference was uh, the belief at the time with Dwight was that post game presence as far as offensively that they really did throw the ball into him a lot more than we're doing. Yeah, and I'm sure you've noticed that. I mean, we're trying. To, I think as his career went on, then we noticed that Dwight works better in pick and roll. I mean, it's pretty. I mean, his athleticism has always been his his strongest suit. So it's at this point, I think Bud knows what he is as a 31 year old uh, big man, and I, I think at the same time they're trying to get him trying to get him easier baskets by you know usually he's getting that third or fourth pass, he's getting that final pass, and then it's just like a catch and and finish. Um, and, you know, it was so different with with Horford. And, you know, and obviously miss that, but with Horford especially because they're two different guys where you can do the pick and pot with Horford and, and different things like that. But with Dwight, it's, it's a totally different guy here that we're seeing in Orlando. And I think it's just a lot of it's just due to the past couple of years, what has happened to him, uh, the loss of all the back injuries he's had. I think he had a knee injury, if I'm correct, right? Um, so he's a different guy now, um, especially than we saw in Orlando. And I, you know, this team here, we just don't have as many shooters as Orlando did. You know, right. point blank, it's yeah, it's they don't have it. And him and Schroeder doing the pick and roll, it doesn't work if you don't have shooters. I mean, like we were talking about the Clippers earlier. Obviously, it works not just because CP's, you know, he's a master with pick and roll, but it helps that he has a, you know, JJ Redick uh, spotting up, or um, even sometimes you have Blake Griffin there waiting at the at the at the you know at the box for a, a drop off pass. So their picker, and you know he's such a good passer, but their pick and roll works a lot better, smoother because you have a Chris Ball who's so good at it, and then you have a Schroeder who's still trying to figure things out with, with Dwight, and they're both guys who I think offensively they're not, you know Schroeder's not like a, a jump shooting threat necessarily. I think a lot of teams still rather force him to shoot. They try to cut off him going to the hole, which is what we've seen all season long really mm-hmm. here. So it's tough for him. When you have two guys who are who don't have that threat, really like you know, like Chris Ball has that threat to score, so people have to account for him. With Schroeder, they just let him shoot, so it's not the same yet. So I think that also is affecting Dwight with where we've seen some of these games where you remember he went scoreless one game, right? If I'm if I'm not correct, another game he had like six points on six shots sure. a couple of games ago. So uh, he's had some rough games here in Atlanta, and it's 
it, it's still it's a guy that heavily relies on his point guard. Then I think Orlando there, um, I felt like I saw a different Dwight, and it, it didn't seem like they, they did. Stan really did dump the ball to him a lot in the post and kind of let him work. And it, because you had those shooters, obviously, but still, it seemed like they were more trusting of Dwight there than as his career went on. I think coaches kind of realized who he really was. So this is a totally different Dwight. Yeah, it's not the prettiest post game that the Dwight has, but it no, it it, it does does uh does the trick from time to time. I was looking at the numbers the other day, and okay. mm. with respect to Millsap and and Howard, and and you know in the pick and roll. Mm. You know, Dwight was better than Millsap. You know, the numbers for when, wow. when Dwight was the pick and roll. You know, when he was catch, you know, catching things in the pick and roll and finishing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Millsap probably doesn't get credit for pick and roll plays as much because he'll pass out of the pick and roll more. Yep. And mm-hmm. so that'll open things up for other people that maybe he doesn't get the credit for. But you know, as far as being the actual scorer, Dwight had been the more efficient player in pick and rolls, and, and Paul Millsap had been a much more efficient player in the post. The post. Oh wow, yeah, and I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, no, and I think yeah, just that attributes to like we said, well, Paul's, Paul's footwork, um, and he is such a great post player. He has such you know such a great feel for it down low. I think I'm surprised at those numbers for sure, because um, I, it seems like a lot of times it is a struggle for Dennis to get Dwight the ball, and that just might be how defenses are playing them because they're putting a lot of guys on Dwight when he rolls to the basket now, so he's not really getting those easy looks. But that definitely surprises me, the numbers there, because I just would have thought maybe Paul would have been much better there. But I think Paul's kind of, this year more than even last is, you know, since it's such a heavy pick and roll with him and with Schroeder and, and Dwight, um, Paul's kind of waiting for that that second pass, second or third pass to catch, and then he figure, you know, then he chooses if it goes to the corner, if he's going to shoot it. Or if um, he throws a lob, that's what he was doing tonight. You know, they were... Yep. He was slipping the screen on the pick and roll, and Dennis would get him the ball, and there was nobody there to stop him. And so, you know, when the center came over to help, he just kept tossing it to Dwight, and they were getting good things tonight. And the other thing they were doing tonight that I thought was really effective is that, you know, when they get Dwight his post looks, they want him to get them early, like almost like fast break post ups. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was by design or not, but when the game started tonight, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation here. <laughs> they started Jonas Valanciunas. Yeah, you got they it. Start, oh, that's the easy one. Hold on now. Oh, gosh. And they started Pascal Siakam. What? I, yep. Asaka, what? And here's the thing. You know, even though Valanciunas was the center, mm-hmm. Millsap was guarding him. And, you know, there's this poor rookie Pascal Siakam that Dwight was guarding. Okay, okay. And, you know, he's not like Patterson. Patterson can, you know, play power forward for them, step out and shoot the three. Siakam doesn't. <clears throat> and so, you know, the Hawks took advantage of that, and they said, you know, Dwight, you guard him. And then when the when the Hawks would get a rebound, Dwight was sprinting down the floor and getting position right away, trying to seal his defender off. And, you know, Valanchunas, who wasn't actually guarding him, had to sort of, you know, get off of Millsap, figure out where Howard was going to be, get down there, and then, you know, guard somebody that outweighs him and outmuscles him routinely. And they were getting so much good stuff for, for Dwight in the early post-ups in that game. And I think part of it was because of that mismatch, you know, just kind of the chaos of who's going to guard who. Yeah, you know, okay, this play is over. Now I've got to find Dwight, even though he wasn't guarding me, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, for sure. They took advantage of that. I, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, that was it. That was the yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. No, I got I nothing else. It, it's, it's great because I think with Dwight, that works when you when you make it less about so he doesn't have to. Not, I'm not saying that he's not cerebral, but when you make it less of him having to read so much when it comes to just, you know, just run down there. You're strong enough. You're stronger than whoever's guarding him. I mean, he's a strong dude. You're stronger than whoever's there. You're more athletic than most of the people at your position. Run down there, get it post early on, um, and it makes it so much easier for his decision making. Like he knows what to do with the ball there. He can just catch and go. Uh, I think it, I think I looked at that numbers like this summer where I think they they had it where exactly how early and it's like what you're talking about how he his percentages of field goals are much higher when he when he's getting it earlier in the shot clock or things of that nature. So he just does a better job when he when he can touch the ball early enough and and he can really decipher what he wants to do 
he doesn't have to think so much through of should I be here? Should I need to put? Should I throw it to this person? Should I do this? I think he's better with that. Uh, and it really, to me, it's really similar to uh, I wrote about that for Bebop Breakdown was the similarity there with with the Clippers once again when you have a Blake and you have DeAndre. And then you have a, you see them do it all the time. You see Blake throwing lobs to DeAndre. That's exactly what Millsap and Howard can do. Yeah, and they exactly have that. that. that That's can, the one thing they haven't done yet is they haven't really done like the the pop four or five pick and roll yet. I know. Yeah, like they should. Be, I mean, that to me, I have not like you said until tonight. You said you know you see it more, but I was expecting to see more of that, and it just surprises me that I know they have a different offense right. than the Clippers, but. Regardless, I think that's a big advantage there. Yeah, they're using it like a short roll. So, like, you know, they'll have Millsap passing the ball to Howard, but it's not it's not uh, Howard setting a screen for screen. Millsap. It's, exactly. it's, it's Millsap setting a screen for Schroeder, getting the ball, and then weighing his options and seeing if Dwight's open. See, that doesn't – yeah, that doesn't really work. Necessarily. you got to have – I think you need to have Dwight setting the screen for Schroeder, if, if I'm correct. Okay. And then – yeah, that is correct. Yeah, if you have Dwight setting the screen for Schroeder and then – um, roll into the basket, then you can have Shorty decided pop it to to give it to Millsap, who then can lob it to to Dwight. I think that would work better. Then, because right now you said they're having what Schroeder getting picked by. No, uh, that that was what I was saying. Is that you know a lot of what they were doing tonight was was Millsap setting you know Millsap Schroeder pick and rolls with Dwight coming in from the baseline. Oh, so he came from the baseline. That's yeah, why he was I... like sliding in behind the help. Gotcha. Like okay. if, if anybody helped at all to Millsap, he was ducking in and you know getting the stuff around the rim. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that definitely works. Yeah. Um, all right. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. Definitely with this team. I mean, just the the um, the shooting, and we saw that coming in. We know they were going to have a tough time getting getting uh, shooters to to really be able to get better looks because of the attention we thought, well, we thought with the attention of Dwight, they would get better looks, but, um, they've, you know, Bays has been struggling a little bit from three, actually not a little bit, a lot of bits. <laughs> and then you have, you know, Corver and Tim and trying to, you know, figure things out as well. So it's, I think the shooters, it's not just, you can't completely just blame the shooters for, for them not being able to get good looks. Cause they also are trying to figure out how to play with Dwight. It's not, it's not the same as, with with Al and and yeah, Millsap, it's almost, yeah, it's almost like you know the the Magic did it with the Magic did it with shooting, and I feel like the Hawks are trying to do stuff around Dwight with passing. Yeah, but passing takes longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes takes more chemistry. You know, I think they've got so many good passers. Tabo's a good passer. Millsap's a ridiculously good passer. Very good passer. You know, yeah. Schroeder sets up passes with his driving ability. And so I think they've got a lot of good passers, but you know that that's going to take some some chemistry and some timing. And you know it's it's harder to pass when people are playing under Schroeder on the screens. But exactly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's taking advantage of the open opportunities that they're giving him. He's at thirty-seven percent now. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's and I you waited for that. You were hoping he would that that would eventually. You know, he would build that confidence because he didn't have that early on, you know, like a couple of years ago. From You know, we all saw that. Yeah. He looks but, really good with that shot. You know, it's it's yeah. slow and mechanical, but it looks the same every time, which is really all you can ask for. Yeah, it looked exactly the same. All right. Got anything to plug? Plug um, HawksHoop.com, ESPN True Hoop, HawksHoop.com. We got a lot of a lot of cool stuff on there. Avery Yang has just joined us. Uh, Emory, Emory student there. He's got some really good, uh, good stuff coming as well. So check us out, hogshoop.com. Also, the A League podcast. Uh, we are on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud. The A League podcast. We're also on Twitter. If you want to find us there. All right, you got to wait. Wait, you got to tell us what the A League podcast is. Oh, you want to know? Okay, here we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You, See, you it's your tell podcast. Us what it is. Want to you know do that on your podcast? But I guess so. No, no. Uh, no. Now, the podcast is. is five writers. Well, now four of us. Uh, four uh, African American writers here. We're all from Atlanta. Uh, funny thing is, we all went to Georgia State. Wrote for the Signal. We've known each other for quite some time here, and we just thought it would be cool for us to get together, give our perspective on different type of topics, not just sports. But we always said we talk about sports, but we talk about everything. Uh, and it's a lot of fun we have on the show, uh, four of us here with different backgrounds. So it makes like such a unique type of mesh of of guys. But we what we do have in common is um, that we all are Af- African-American males. So 
Um, we like to talk about different things, funny here, you know, funny things here and there. Tomorrow we're going to talk about Kanye and his him acting out as he did with his blonde hair. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we just talk about everything you can think of. And then we're going to talk about, you know, obviously Craig Sager. We just talk about any any topics. So sure. um, the A-League podcast Twitter is at A-League one. That is our Twitter handle. Um, definitely take a look out for that. We post, like I said, SoundCloud, iTunes, and all different platforms. Excellent. Well, yeah. thanks for joining us, Eric. I really appreciate it. KL, this was fun, man. I, I hope in down the line I'm I'm invited. I hope I was worthy enough to be invited. Back. <laughs> of course. Stop. Back of, to be stop, back stop, in. stop. <laughs> this is hell this is a lot of fun, bro. I really appreciate it. Excellent. All right. And one last plug for my sponsor, Pull Eye Mortgages, Rates Integrity Service. Have a good one. Yep.